Welcome. Welcome to our next stage on this wonderful journey that we've been going on through 2022 through the Gospel of John. We're nearing the end, both the end of our series and the end of our story. In fact, we've only got three sermons after this one on John's Gospel. And then in the new year, we're going to be looking at vision and values, and then we're going to take a walk through Exodus together. But that's all ahead. What are we looking at today? Well, we're looking at John chapter 15, verse 18, through to the end of chapter 16. It's quite a lengthy uh, chunk, so I'm going to read it to us. Here we go. John 15, verse 18. Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is the way the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you in this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. This is to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason." When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16. All this I have told you so you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me and what he will make known to you. Wow, <laughs> what a passage. We could spend probably days, certainly hours in this passage. There are some theological weighty themes in this passage. In fact, most of them are reminders of what 
God has already said, what Jesus has already said. Let me give you a hand from them. Jesus knows that who he is. He knows he is divine. He knows that his time has now come. You cannot say from a biblical viewpoint, Jesus didn't know who he was. He did, he does, he did hear, he says it clearly. It's clear from this passage that Jesus knows that he and the Father are one. The divinity of Christ is clear. It's also clear that the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, the Counselor, is also divine and relates in some way to both the Father and the Son. We have in this passage descriptions of the dynamics within the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We get glimpses of how they work together, that they learn from the Father. The Son receives from the Father and gives to the Spirit, and the Spirit is sent to give to us. But the Spirit also relates to the Son and the Father directly. We find revealed in in this passage that the one God encompasses three persons. It's from passages like this that the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD put together the Apostles' Creed or the Nicaean Creed that made it clear when they said we believe in one God, one Father, one Son, one Spirit. I'd encourage you this week, just look up the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed and just let it work into you. It's a wonderful summary that the church came up with to describe the Trinity. Now, if you're confused by the Trinity, you're in good company. The Trinity is true, but it's also a mystery. It's biblical, but it also goes a little bit beyond Scripture in our understanding. We hold it in tension. But what is clear from this passage is that the Father is divine, the Son is divine, and the Spirit is divine. And they are personal. Notice in this passage where the Holy Spirit is constantly given a personal pronoun. We are reminded again the Holy Spirit is a person with a personality, a person of the Godhead. Not some, this, not some intransible force, but someone we have relationship with. It's also clear from these verses that Jesus is saying to the disciples in their grief and to us, it is still better for me to go to the Father. I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised, and I will ascend. And all those things are good for you. Though the middle one of those will be much rejoicing. Jesus is alive. The death of Jesus would have been incredibly hard. The ascension must have been hard. Why is he leaving them? Well, he tells them here, it's better for you that I go to the Father so the Holy Spirit, another counsellor, remember, just like Jesus, can be amongst you. So this passage is packed full of theology. But I don't think Jesus is primarily trying to teach than theology at this point. If you look at the context of these words in the light of chapters 14, 15 and now 16, you will see that Jesus is actually reminding them of their three key relationships as believers. Their relationship with the Father, abide in the vine. Their relationship with one another, love one another. And now in these verses, their relationship with the world. 
Now, when John, when Jesus uses the phrase world here, he's, he's referring to those who are not part of the community of faith. It's slightly different when Jesus says, I'll come to the whole world. It's, it's, okay, it's people who are not part of your community of faith. How do you relate to the unbeliever, especially when they are hostile towards you? Jesus is making it clear that we are going to work out our faith, that these first disciples are going to work out their faith in a world which is increasingly hostile towards them, towards God, and towards what they believe about God. Which makes this passage incredibly helpful for us right now. Because, friends, we we are living out our faith in a world that is increasingly hostile to what we believe. I love some of what we believe, a, a God of love, a community of faith, a community of, se- of acceptance. But start talking about sin or lifestyle or sexuality or money. Then there are some challenges, aren't there? And so what Jesus does here is he, he gives them some information about their specific circumstance. So he says, you will be thrown out of your synagogue. That's very specific. But what he also does, I think, is give them some principles, and we can learn from those principles. Most of us are not currently getting saved out of a synagogue. Some, some who are watching this around the world may, may well. But for most of us, we've not been saved out of a synagogue. But we have been saved out of a context, out of a community, and it's possible that that community has found our stepping into faith difficult. So what principles does Jesus give us? Well, I've identified a handful in no particular order. The first is this, rejection is hard to cope with. Jesus says, all this I have told you so that you do not fall away. So he said, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be put out of your community. You're going to become isolated. You may be operating alone. You may have to leave your home, your job. You may lose your livelihood. You may even lose your life. And that's tough to cope with. Rejection is hard. Even in, in a very safe context, even if a friendship breaks down, rejection's hard. It, it hurts. And Jesus is recognizing that. Jesus is recognizing that following him is hard. There are challenges to live our lives under the lordship of Christ in a world which is not living its life under the lordship of Christ will cause rejection, will cause persecution. Most of us, if we are honest, want to be accepted and included, not excluded and challenged. It is human nature to want to fit in. It's human nature to want to be liked. It is easier, Jesus is saying, to go with the flow. But to go with the flow of the world is to drift away from Christ. The phrase Jesus uses, to fall away. Jesus is reminding us that rejection and persecution 
are hard and our natural reaction to rejection is to fall away from Jesus very often. Secondly, Jesus reminds us that our identity is not in the world. He's saying here, you're not of the world. That's not your identity. Of course, he's not lifting them out of the world. It's not that when we get saved and we get baptized, we, we go down under the water, and as we're lifted up, we then ascend to glory. It's not like that, is it? We come out of the water and we walk out into the world. We are in the world. But the world is not our identity. Jesus is reminding them that their relationship with God is now primary. Not their relationship with their spouse or their family or their wider family or their colleagues or their neighbours. Their primary relationship is with God through Jesus. That would have been a huge challenge in their context. It's a challenge for us. In our context, in Western context, it's hard to be reminded. Actually, no, your primary identity is, is not with your family. It's with Christ. It's with God. In a culture of the first century where community and family was everything, in your culture, you might be operating in a culture where actually family is the most important thing. It's family first, God second sometimes. Well, actually, that's what Jesus is saying. No. Actually, if you're going to cope with persecution, you need to be reminded your identity is in Christ. You're part of the family of God, first and foremost. That's why in chapter 15, earlier in chapter 15, when Jesus teaches on abiding in the vine, it's not just good practice, it's essential for coping with persecution. To know actually our primary relationship is with God, our primary connection is with the vine. So Christ reminds them of their identity. Christ also identifies with them and with us. It's not just that we are of Christ, but actually Christ identifies with us in our persecution. We're challenged because of him. Now sometimes we're challenged because of us. That's not persecution, that's just character development. If you're challenged because you're annoying, or frustrating, or rude. That's nothing to do with Jesus. I remember at university, uh, a very good friend at, at university took me aside one day and, and pointed out aspects of my character that were not great. And, and initially I thought, oh, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. And then I thought, no, I'm not. He's just telling me the truth. We need friends like that. I needed to hear him. That wasn't persecution, that was character development. But when we're persecuted because of Christ, Christ reminds us he identifies with us. He understands what we're going through, not just because of his divinity, but also because of his humanity. He shared in our humanity. Jesus understands the emotional pain of being rejected, misunderstood, misrepresented, denied. He went through it for us and he goes through it with us. Following on from that, Jesus reminds us we are not alone. You will receive for them, we have received for us the Holy Spirit, the advocate. It's interesting that that's the word that Jesus uses here to describe the Spirit. The advocate. Who's an advocate? It's one who comes alongside and defends you. 
What's the context? Persecution. When we are being persecuted, when we're being challenged, when we're being ignored, when we feel alone because of our faith, oh, how wonderful it is that the Advocate is with us. We are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. He advocates for us, Jesus. He is at your side. Not only that, he will advocate about Christ. He will point to Jesus for us. He will lift our heads to Jesus in that moment. Next principle. There is a spiritual warfare element to persecution. What does Jesus say? He says the prince of this world has been defeated. The prince of this world. Let's remind ourselves what he says about judgment. Verse 11, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Why are we experiencing persecution? Because the devil is in the last throes. He is defeated. Not every bit of persecution is spiritual warfare, but lots of it is. It might not be a direct attack from the devil, but it has its root in the accuser of the brothers. Christ's death, resurrection, ascension and return all confirm that the battle has been won. And yet in these last days, the time between Jesus' first coming, his incarnation and his return, we know there is a spiritual battle going on. And the persecution we might receive is a glimpse of that spiritual battle. The principalities and powers that are trying to cling on to power even though they've been defeated. There is a spiritual warfare element. Next principle. Jesus says, keep preaching the gospel. Keep preaching the gospel. Jesus reminds us that one of the things the Holy Spirit will do is point people to him. But he reminds the disciples, reminds us that that's what we are called to do as well. We are called to preach. Let me remind you what it says. It says, the spirit of truth who comes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Verse 26 of chapter 15. Then verse 27. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus is saying one of the ways that we deal with persecution is not to fall away and to retreat, but to preach the gospel, to point to Jesus why is that important? It's important because in the spiritual warfare aspect, what is the one thing that the devil doesn't want to happen? He doesn't want the victory of Christ to be preached. So Jesus says to them, look, it's going to be tough. You'll want to fall away. It's going to be hard. But guess what? Your identity is in me. I've identified with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. It is spiritual warfare. Therefore, preach. Preach the gospel. It is essential that we preach the gospel so that people can understand the reason for our faith and the salvation solution to their brokenness. Because remember, the reason they are persecuting us is because we are reflecting to them their brokenness. Keep relying, Jesus says, on the Holy Spirit. 
He doesn't just remind us that the advocate with it is with us. He's reminding us to rely on the Holy Spirit. We often speak about going on being filled with the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. We pray for the manifest presence of God by His Spirit in our meetings. We often talk about the Spirit in relation to spiritual gifts in our meetings and the fruit of the Spirit in our character. And all of that is good and right and biblical. But here... Jesus is reminding the disciples, reminding us that our dependence on the Holy Spirit is also to deal with persecution. It's to sustain us in an often hostile world. Jesus does not just see the Holy Spirit as a nice addition to our Christian meetings, but as an essential relationship for our daily walk through the world. So here are principles that Jesus gives us. Remember your identity. Remember that Christ is identifying with you through his humanity. Remember that the Holy Spirit is there for you, your advocate who is alongside you. Remember to rely on him. Remember to preach the gospel. And remember the whole of this in the context that it is a spiritual battle. But I'm also aware of what is not there. Jesus does say to them, they're not of the world. But at no point does Jesus encourage them to retreat from the world. See, when we're under persecution, when we are challenged for our faith, the initial response is often to run, isn't it? That kind of flight response. The initial response is to, okay, well, I'll kind of give some ground on that doctrine and that doctrine and that belief and I won't challenge so much and I'll be quiet and I won't preach the gospel. That might be our initial response. But in church history, there's been another one. And that is to retreat into the Christian ghetto. It's to retreat behind a set of rules, a set of doctrines, maybe a way of living life, things we do and we don't do. It doesn't always start like that. It maybe starts just by trying to invest in real community. But as persecution comes, if we're not careful, what we do is retreat from the world. We hide away from the world. But Jesus doesn't tell the disciples to do that. It would have been easy for Jesus to say, run! (laughs) And he doesn't. Why not? Well, the principles that Jesus gives us are not principles of retreat. They're principles of engagement. We're called to engage with the world. We're called to be salt and light in the world. We're called to stand for truth and justice in the world. We are called to love the world. Now you might say, oh Simon, this is an argument for silence. You're, you're taking stuff that isn't there and making a point from it. Well, yes and no. Jesus doesn't say anything. Jesus doesn't say don't retreat. But look at who is speaking. Jesus is speaking. It would have been so easy, wouldn't it, for God to have stepped back and let the world get on. What does Jesus do? What does God do? He steps in. We come again to the whole doctrine of incarnation. Jesus knew the persecution was coming. Maybe there was a conversation in the Godhead like this conversation 
where they said, you're going to get persecuted, Jesus. There's going to be a cross. There's going to be pain. There's going to be rejection. And yet Jesus steps in to the world. We need to recognize that Jesus is encouraging us here. He's warning us there will be challenge. He's warning us there will be persecution. But his advice is not to withdraw, but to step forward. Why does that matter? Well, it, it matters because engagement with the world needs compassion, wisdom, strength, power, and dependence on the Holy Spirit. And our world is desperate for a church which engages with it, with the wisdom, compassion, strength, power, and dependence on the Holy Spirit. It is engagement with the world that creates opportunity for preaching the gospel and bringing the kingdom. If we retreat from the world, if we disengage, we tend to get critical and judgmental. And so often the church down through the years has been seen as critical and judgmental. If I'm not careful in retreating from the world, I simply hold on or place my identity in some key doctrines that persuade me that I'm okay or good and the world is not okay or bad. And that's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of the Holy Spirit. Friends, are we living in a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel? Yes. Is there a huge temptation to either run away or retreat into some Christian safe space? Yes. But we are called not to do that by the God who chose not to do that. We are called to engage by the God who chose to engage. We need to hold on to our identity in Christ. We need to remind ourselves that we're in a spiritual battle. We need to be daily aware that the counsellor, the advocate, the Holy Spirit is with us and we need to be asking him to fill us day after day after day. But not just so that we can survive, so that we can advance. Because we are called to preach the gospel to a broken world. We are called to preach the gospel to a world that is desperate for the compassion and the love and the grace and the healing power of God. And the church of Jesus Christ is called to preach that gospel, even in the face of persecution. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you did not disengage but stepped in. And we pray that as we move through our days and our weeks and the months ahead, whatever is going on around us, we can hold tightly to you and we can continue to preach the gospel in word and in deed. Amen.